All right, Ephesians chapter one. If, uh, if you can find your way to Ephesians chapter one. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for just all that you have already done uh, through the worship this morning. Strongholds being broken off in Jesus' name and your love and your, your presence and your power just being poured out. I uh, love that picture that Gary shared, Lord God, of just the, the, the gates of heaven the floodgates of heaven just being swung open wide um, and so that your blessing can just be poured out upon us, but also, Lord God, floodgates open wide so that we can rush into your presence, Lord God. And I pray that would continue this morning as we sit under your word, Lord, just your power, your presence, your goodness, your blessing poured out upon us as, as we know, as we come to grips with the incredible reality that nothing can prevent us from coming into your presence because we are in Jesus. And I just pray that where there may be lies still kind of permeating through this building in people's hearts and minds, where they might think they are not worthy, I pray those lies would just be gone in Jesus' name. And that we would, we would come boldly because of what Jesus has done into your presence. Lord, we don't want to leave here uh, uh, with anything less than what you've planned for today. And so, Lord, would you have your way as we dive into the word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I mentioned Tyron Daniel a few moments ago. Um, he teaches that there are three certainties in life. Um, if you add Benjamin Franklin's two certainties of death and taxes, then there are actually five certainties in life. But Tyron's three certainties in life are that God loves you, the devil hates you, and everyone else has a plan for your life. And I think we would all know that to be true, that, that time and time again, we all have to face the reality of, of others trying to impose their expectations on our lives. Jesus faced that as well. His brothers in John chapter seven say this to him, who thinks they can change the world by doing so in secret? If you're so serious about what you're doing, come out into the open and show the world who you say you are. Everyone, not, not just his brothers, but everyone was trying to impose their expectations on who Jesus should be and what Jesus should do. And we mustn't excuse ourselves from that because I think if we're honest, we do that too. We, we easily want to put our idea of what a savior and Lord should be. We, we want to impose that upon Jesus. But Jesus was so clear as to who was going to set the agenda for his life. He replies to his brothers in John chapter seven, when you set the agenda for your life, he says, any time will do, but my time as determined by my father has not yet come. And in saying that, in, in not allowing others to place expectations on him, Jesus disappointed a lot of people. But as he did so, he, he was able to live fully in the Father's love and faithfully according to the Father's will. We spoke about strongholds this morning in worship. And perhaps some of, for some of you, those strongholds might represent you coming under the expectations that others have for your life. Maybe you here today knowing what that feels like to, to live underneath others' expectations. And in so, in so doing, you, you're, you're not able to say that you live fully in the Father's love or faithfully according to the Father's will. 
Can I just say as an aside, if your boss comes to you on Monday and says, I have an expectation for you to finish this project by 5 p.m., that's not the time to say, I'm a child of God, you won't place your expectations on me. That's not what I'm saying. Because if that is the case, you're probably gonna look for another source of income uh, starting the next day. What I'm speaking about is, is people placing their, their, their lifelong expectations, things that, that, that you need to be doing in order to become who you need to be. Maybe that's even culture that places expectations upon you. 17th century Puritan John Owen put it this way. He says, our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not our lack of effort, but our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges. In other words, we, we don't know what it means to live in Christ and how to live as a citizen of heaven here on earth. But j just imagine for a moment if we did. Imagine if for a moment we, we knew what it meant to be a citizen of heaven, what it meant to be in Christ, and what it meant to, to live as citizens of heaven here on earth, and to live fully in the Father's love, and faithfully to the Father's will. And, and essentially, that's what Paul wants to teach us, and what Paul teaches the church in Ephesus in his letter. It's and an absolutely amazing letter. If I'm allowed to say this, I don't know if I am, but it is my favorite book of the Bible. Uh, I could spend just hour upon hour just digging out the, the truth that is contained in here. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna do a, a Bible study, a brief overview of the first three chapters, and then we're gonna hone in on this amazing prayer that Paul prays at the end of Ephesians chapter three. Paul begins his letter to the church in Ephesus by explaining that the, the origin of, our, of our citizenship is heaven, in heaven originates in the plan of the Father his plan to bring everything under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And he starts in verse three with a single sentence. And we're gonna read that single sentence right now. And as we do so, I want you to notice how many times Paul uses the phrase in Christ or in heaven. Sorry, in him, in Christ or in him. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And I hope right away you are kind of thinking, wait a minute, you said one sentence and I read a whole bunch more. But actually in the original letter, in Paul's original writing of this letter, all of that which I read was one sentence. And Paul could not help himself because every time I would imagine he was trying to put a period at the end of the sentence, he just came up with more reasons to, to, to worship God, to speak about the, the joy and the blessing and the good things that come from God because he is in Christ. And what is, makes this letter and this introduction all the more remarkable is Paul's joy and Paul's uh, uh, celebration was not derived from his circumstances because Paul is in prison when he's writing this. Paul's joy and Paul's delight and Paul's celebration comes from the reality of what it means to be in Christ. Forgive me for this very simplistic illustration, but I, I couldn't think of a better one. A friend of mine, for the first couple years of us being in the States, we've kind of lost touch now just because of time and distance, but uh, he made a, a bucket load of money in the dot-com boom of the mid-90s. And, uh, and around about the middle 2000s, about 2005, uh, uh, he decided to buy himself a car. He was a, he was a car dude, he loved cars. And so one day he decided to, because he, had, because he could, he decided to buy himself a midnight blue classic Ford GT with two white racing stripes going down the, the hood. And if you don't know what that is, uh, Vince can tell you firstly, because Vince is a car guy. But if you don't know what that is, don't worry, just know that the car cost a little over half a million dollars. And he arrived one day at our house to take me for a ride and we were gonna drive around the city and we spent that evening driving around in this incredible Ford GT. Let me tell you, we were treated differently because we were in that Ford GT. Everywhere we went, people were looking, people were staring, we got to uh, a restaurant to go out for dinner and we were treated like absolute kings. There was, a, there was a blessing and a benefit that came from us being inside the Ford GT. Something so different if we were driving around in the Kia Sedona that I actually owned at the time. That's what Paul is trying to drive home for us, for us to grasp. That there is a blessing, there is a benefit, there is, there is a reason for celebrating, not just now, but for all eternity, because we are placed in Jesus when we put our faith in Him. And so our heavenly citizenship, our being in Christ is rooted in the plan of God. And then Paul goes on in the end of the rest of chapter one to explain how we obtain a revelation of our citizenship. Look at verse 17. We obtain a revelation of our citizenship through prayer. I wish I had time to teach on this, but I'm just gonna read verse 17. Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. We, we don't have time to dive into this, but I want you to just to notice two things from that verse that I read. The, the role that the Holy Spirit play, plays, the prayer that Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would fill us, and secondly, the Holy Spirit comes so that we may know him better. And that word to know is not an intellectual knowledge, but it's an experiential knowledge. Put that in your memory banks, we're gonna come back to that in a few moments. So the origin of 
Our heavenly citizenship is rooted in the plan of God. We obtain a revelation of our heavenly citizenship through prayer. Then in verse one of chapter two, Paul explains how we become citizens of heaven. Friends, listen to this. It's by grace through faith. By grace through faith. Verse one says, we were dead in our sins. We followed the ways of the world. We gratified the cravings of our flesh. We were deserving of wrath. Verse four, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. And then verse eight, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith so that no one can boast. And now that we are citizens of heaven, what does it mean? Verse 22 of chapter two, we are, we are being joined together, we are being cemented together as building blocks, as it were, uh, to become a dwelling in which God resides by his spirit. And then together, what impact does our heavenly citizenship have? Chapter three, verse 10. This is for me my favorite verse. God's intent is that now, now friends, it was true when Paul wrote this. It is true today and it'll be true until every day until Jesus returns. God's intent is that now through the church, the manifold, multifaceted wisdom and glory of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Don't let CNN or Fox tell you, that, that, don't let them lie to you. The most important thing happening on planet Earth today is the church of Jesus Christ gathering together in Jesus' name across the planet. The most important thing, because it is not just so that we can get our Jesus fixed or feel a little different when we go home, but it is because the church gathering sends and a signal sends a message to principalities and powers and authorities to display the manifold, multifaceted wisdom and glory of God. That's why it is so important for us to breathe, uh, to, to gather together. <laughs> Full disclosure, I wrote a little message in here, breathe, exclamation point. <laughs> because I guessed at that point I was gonna be hopped up and I needed just to slow down. <laughs> so I need to breathe. <laughs> and that's what I'm doing right now. All right, now you see how the sausage is made. That's what goes into preparing a sermon on Sundays. <laughs> breathe. <laughs> Paul wants to get to the practical application of all of this. And I think that sometimes we wanna do that too, don't we? We, 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 we wanna just have someone tell us what to do. But, but Paul refuses to get to the practical application in chapter four, verse one, until he has taken three chapters to lay out the truth of what God has done for us. In chapter four, verse one, he starts off, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life or to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. Live a life, walk worthy of the calling that you have received to, to be in business, to be a teacher, to go into ministry, that's, that's part of it. It's way more important than that. The call that we have received to be citizens of heaven, living here on earth. 
That's what he wants us to grasp. But there's a, there's a missing piece before he can get to the practical application. He, he, wants, he wants to answer the question, how do we experience our heavenly citizenship? How do we, what, what, what good is it if, if all of this that we, that we know is just, it just resides in our heads? He, he wants this truth to get into our hearts so that it can change our lives. And that brings us to the text that we're gonna be looking at, chapter three, verse 14 through 21. He starts off, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now, now just take a peek up to chapter three, verse one. In, in chapter three, verse one, he starts in exactly the same way, for this reason, but then Paul gets sidetracked before he tries again in chapter three, verse 14. It, it reminds me of an email exchange that Aiden and I had with Matt a couple of weeks ago. Matt got radically sidetracked when he was writing an email. If you sat down and read the email, you wouldn't know what ha happened in all reality because paragraph one starts well. Paragraph two continues where Matt left off in paragraph one. Paragraph three, Matt writes this, sorry guys, can't write the rest. An accident at home and trying to take care of it, thanks. But then paragraph five and six continue. Like he literally carries on without, a, without missing a beat. And it got me to think, accident at home. Did he drop a glass? Did he maybe put colors in with whites while he was doing the washing? The accident at home was he split his big toenail open and broke his big toe. But Matt paused for hours and then returned as if nothing happened. That's what Paul is, that's what's going on here in chapter three. He starts in verse one, he gets sidetracked, not by breaking his toe, but by realizing that he's got more to unpack about the goodness and glory of God. And then he finds his way back in verse 14. For this reason, he writes, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. This is the last Sunday in our preaching series, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And as we bring this series into land, the question that I wanna ask is, for us all today is, is, what do you pray most often for yourself and for others? What do you pray most often for yourself and for others? It's probably like I, I would, Lord, would you, would, would you do this? Or would you help me with that? Or will you move in such and such a way? We generally tend to pray circumstantially, don't we? And there's nothing wrong with that because Jesus himself teaches us in answer to the disciples' question, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus teaches us that we should be asking God for our daily bread. But Paul's most urgent and most important prayer is not for his circumstances to change. 
or for the circumstances of the church in Ephesus or for our circumstances to change. Remember, Paul is praying from prison, but you would never know that if you read the book of Ephesians. Paul's most urgent and important prayer is that God would do a deep work in our hearts so that our lives can then overflow with the work that God has done, that we would learn to live fully in the Father's love and so faithfully in the Father's will. So how should we pray for ourselves and others? And I wanna share two things real quick. Firstly, we need to remember who we are praying to. We need to remember who we are praying to. We are praying to the heavenly Father who names us. Look at verse 14 and 15. Paul says, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. In John chapter 10, that incredible passage where we are introduced to Jesus as the good shepherd, we are told that Jesus calls every one of his sheep by name. Jesus is the one who names us. And here we are told it is the heavenly Father who names us. To to name someone in a biblical context means to speak worth and blessing and favor and value and dignity over us. We all need that, don't we? We all need our heavenly Father to speak that over us because we are terrible at speaking worth and value and dignity over ourselves, aren't we? We think too little of ourselves or perhaps we think too much of ourselves. And so what we tend to do is we tend to look to others who are equally flawed as we are for them to name us. One of the things I used to love about American Idol, and I don't watch those shows anymore, but I used to love American Idol, especially the early auditions where those not so great singers would would audition and the judges would be honest, not brutally honest, but they would be honest. And the parents of the children were enraged and incensed because they were living vicariously through their children and obviously they had been incorrectly, incorrectly naming them year after year, telling them they could do something that they really couldn't. We all need our heavenly Father to speak worth and value and blessing and purpose and dignity over us. Now, I I wanna just pause for a moment and just acknowledge that for some, maybe even for many in this room, this teaching, the Bible's teaching that God is our heavenly Father is a difficult teaching to hear because of the difficult or maybe even absent relationship that you've had with your earthly father. This teaching is not gonna be able to fully unpack that, but I want you to listen to this. My heavenly father is love. He is so full of life and blessing that for all eternity, he has been overflowing with it. He is the fountainhead of goodness, truth and beauty. My heavenly father is not created in the image of my earthly father, nor is my earthly father a true reflection of my heavenly father. My heavenly father is eternally happy and is for me and loves me. He is the God of abundance and creativity, justice and hope, redemption and rescue, purpose and meaning. I can legitimately say I am his favorite and I am his treasured possession, and I take his breath away without elevating myself above or making it any less true of any of you. God is not just a father or the father or Jesus's father, 
But because I am in Christ, he is and will always be my father. And that's true for every single one of you here today. And, and God naming us, God, God blessing us and pouring out his goodness over us, verse 16 comes out of his glorious riches. God is willing to bless us because he is our heavenly father and God is able to bless us because he contains and has glorious riches. But look at verse 20. How is he able to do this? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Now, now we're gonna just unpack verse 20 real quick because it is the most, one of the most remarkable verses in scripture. It would have been sufficient for Paul to write God is able because God is alive and, and God is at work. But, but the verse gets more specific. He says, God is able to do what we ask. God, God loves answering our prayers. He delights in being the source of our needs. But, but Paul goes even further. God is able to do what we ask or imagine. God delights in not just answering the prayers that we verbalize, but sometimes the things that we hardly even pray. But he goes on even more. God is able to do all that we ask or imagine. It's impossible to out-imagine or out-ask God. And as if this couldn't get any better, he actually says God is able to do more than all we ask or imagine. He doesn't just love us. He doesn't just pour out grace upon us. He lavishes us with love and lavishes us with grace. In fact, Paul goes even further. God is able to do abundantly more than all we ask. The measure... Just remember that word that Gary brought, the, 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 the floodgates of heaven. The measure that God uses is pressed down, shaken together and running over. It's God's superabundance. But, but wait, that's not the word that Paul uses. Paul uses the word abundantly more or immeasurably more. He actually creates a word in the original Greek called hyperabundance. God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine, or imagine. Friends, that's the confidence with which we have to pray. It's not the quality of our prayers. It's not the quantity of our prayers. It's the fact that we are in Christ and God is infinitely generous. That's who we pray to. Second thing I want us to look at is what should we pray for? Look at verse 16. Paul writes that God, we should pray that God may strengthen you with power. Now, now don't read that and think that that can be void of experience. How can you be strengthened with power from the Lord on high without experiencing something in your life? That God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being and verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Remember what I asked you to remember in Ephesians 1, the Holy Spirit releasing an experience in our hearts. C.S. Lewis says this, theology and beliefs relate to the actual Christian life like a map to a city. I introduced Daniel a little, uh, a little bit earlier from Paris. Daniel has been getting ready in his heart to, 
to come to Chicago. It's his first time ever in the States and first time ever to Chicago. And he's been taking the time to prepare himself. He's been looking at maps and, and kind of figuring out to some degree how the neighborhoods in Chicago relate to one another and how the city falls just to the east of the lake. And he's been looking on social media and he's been looking at different foods and uh, things like kind of Portillo's hot dogs, which he mentioned he wants to eat and deep dish pizza and Chick-fil-A which we had last night for dinner. Now, I just want to say, we've been to Paris. Maybe some of you have as well. I'm a little confused how a Parisian kid could, could long for Chick-fil-A when you consider the kind of food that you can eat in Paris. But, but be that as, as, as it may, all of the preparation of looking on social media and maps is, is pales into insignificance when he actually gets to walk the streets of Chicago when he actually gets to experience it all. Friends, maps are still important, just as theology and sound Bible teaching is, because when we lose our way, they bring us back to where we should be. But the, but the understanding of, of Bible truth and theology should never supersede the experience of knowing that God is in our hearts, and that's what Paul prays. And I pray, verse 17, that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul wants us to grasp something. He wants us to grasp the most important thing, he wants us to grasp the magnitude of God's love. How wide it is that no one is excluded from God's love, from how, how long it is that it stretches from eternity past to eternity future. The depth of God's love, that, that Jesus endured God forsaking him for us and the height of God's love, that in him, you and I are, are raised up to be seated at God's right hand because we are in him. Again, grasping God's love is not an intellectual process. That, that word in the, in the original Greek actually means to seize something. It means to grab hold of something, to wrestle something to the ground, to, to grasp God's love. We, we need something. Look at verse 17. To grasp God's love, we need to be rooted and established in God's love. And, and I can't for a moment claim to fully understand it, but, but I think this is what Paul is getting at. I want you to cast your mind back to Christmas and, and to... Remember, the, after opening up all your gifts and you look at your feet and you've got this pile of gifts, we, we take time to engage with and interact with those gifts in a very different way now that they are ours compared to if they were sitting on a shelf at Target. If, they were sitting on a, if a travel mug was sitting on a shelf at Target, we'd walk past and go, that's a travel mug. But for some obscure reason, when, they, when it's given to us as a Christmas gift, we pick it up and take off the lid and notice how nicely and snug the lid fits. And we, we pop open that little clip a few times to make sure it works. And we, we take the scarf and even though we're going nowhere, we drape ourselves with the scarf that we've been given. And, and we climb into the pair of new sneakers that we have, although we're not going outside. We, we interact with the gift now that it is ours. Not just any scarf, but my scarf. 
And that's what I think Paul is getting at. He wants us to grasp the love of God now that we, by grace through faith, are rooted and established in God's love. He goes on to talk about grasping God's love. Verse 18, we also need God's power. We need the Holy Spirit who was poured out abundantly into our hearts. Poured out abundantly into our hearts. Friends, there are no containers in our hearts big enough to be filled with the love of God. As we're gonna see in a few, a few moments, the measure that God uses is fullness. And we can't match that. But that's the point. Because God wants to fill our hearts to overflowing so that we can share the love of God with others. And then thirdly, God wants us to grasp His love we need one another. Verse 18, together with God's people. Why? Because the way Charles sees and interacts with and understands God's love is different to Genti and is different to Karen and is different to Mackenzie. We need each other. We need each other's experience and understanding of God's love so that the multifaceted love of God can be understood more fully. Paul's prayer is not that we would just grasp God's love, but we would know this love that surpasses knowledge. What? That we would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge? Doesn't make sense, I know. But, but I think it makes a little more sense when we understand that Paul is not talking about an intellectual understanding of his love, but an experiential understanding of his love, and that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God fills my heart with love and blessing and grace with a measure called fullness, and when he does that, he doesn't deplete his resources to be able to fill you with the fullness of his love either. That's the God that we worship. Just to end, I love the different ways that we are called to experience God's love. Paul talks about being rooted and established in his love, talking about grasping the magnitude of God's love and to know the love of God that surpasses understanding. These are not three stages of God's love that we grow into. It's not like three, you know, three people going to a Hillsong conference or a Hillsong concert. And the one friend walks back and he goes, you won't believe it. I just, I was so rooted in God's love. And the friend goes, oh, that's nothing. I wasn't just rooted in God's love. I grasped God's love. And the third friend says, rooted and grasped? No, 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 no. I got to know God's love in a way that surpasses knowledge. They're not three levels, but three facets. Three different ways that we get to experience the love and the goodness of God. So what should we pray for ourselves and for one another? That we would experience the love of God in a way that changes our lives. It's that simple. That we would experience God, we would experience the Holy Spirit in a way that enables us to live fully in the Father's love and faithfully in the Father's will. We need to Ask God to strengthen us by His Spirit. Not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength. That Christ would live in us as we open the door 
and invite him in. And we need to ask him that with both feet firmly planted on love, we, be able, we would be able to take in with each other the extravagant dimensions of God's love, that we would reach out and experience its breadth, that we would be able to test its length and plumb the depths and rise to the heights, that we would be able to live full lives, full lives in the fullness of God, fully in the Father's love, faithfully in the Father's will. Maybe you can just close your eyes for a moment. Just sense such a tenderness of the Father 